Please take your copy of the scriptures or a pew Bible and pew rack in front of you and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15. As we are in this series working through the book of Deuteronomy, we've uh, made our way to the Ten Commandments. And each uh, Lord's Day we're looking at one commandment. And uh, today we're looking at the fourth commandment. Uh, on the Sabbath, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Let's listen closely to hear God's word. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You're all a bunch of lazy bums. Get back to work. That is essentially how Pharaoh responded to the command that was given to him from the Lord through Moses to let my people go. And he told his taskmasters to make things even more difficult for the people. Now they would have to continue to make Uh, the same number of bricks without the raw materials that were needed. If they wanted straw, they would have to gather it for themselves. And when they failed to meet quota, they would be punished. But God brought them out from there. He delivered them. He redeemed them. And he gave them a day of rest. A day of freedom from the daily demands. A day to enjoy God. And do good. The Sabbath is meant to teach us, dear friends, that God's people are not cogs in a ceaselessly operating machine. They are not 24-7 manufacturers. They are not slaves to a master whose yoke is heavy and burdensome and ultimately unbearable. They are servants of a God who redeems and gives his people rest. I think it's crucial to notice that in Deuteronomy, the the commandment to keep the Sabbath flows out of the story of redemption from slavery in Egypt. That's crucial for understanding its significance. The Sabbath rehearses the story of liberation from endless toil, from ceaseless brick-making, and reminds God's people that they have been set free from the tyranny of Egyptian idolatry. And so the people of God are called to rejoice in the gift of rest. 
And they are called to give rest to others as an act of faith, as an act of trust in their new master, the Lord of the Sabbath. I think it's also important to recognize that Pharaoh had had a divine status in Egyptian society. He represented the idolatry of Egypt and the tyranny and oppression that it inevitably produced. The false gods of Egypt, like the false gods of Assyria and Babylon and Persia and Greece, and like the idols of our own day, all share this in common. They reduce people to commodities, demand endless performance, and allow for no real rest. This is why Pharaoh is essentially a hard-nosed production manager whose demands never stop and whose demands can never be met. And I wonder if you can identify with that. We, we live in a restless culture that often punishes people for failing to keep up with the demands of life in a 24-7 society. The taskmasters of our world share Pharaoh's philosophy. Don't stop, keep working, keep producing, keep performing, keep up, and whatever you do, do not stop. And sometimes we can be our own harsh taskmasters, can't we? We beat ourselves up when we can't point to something tangible that we feel justifies our existence, that vindicates us. When, when we don't look as strong or as attractive or as put together as others, when we don't look as successful as others, when we don't look as put together and have anything to show for ourselves, when we live as though everything depends on us, we can impose the most unrealistic expectations on ourselves and punish ourselves when we don't get it all done, can't we? It's in the light of this unrelenting demand, I think that we can come to appreciate the truly gracious character of the fourth commandment. The God of Israel is the God who emancipates slaves from the tyrannical demands of the gods of this world and gives his people rest. Accordingly, I'd like us to think about the Sabbath this morning in two parts. The first part is what God demands, what God requires. The second part is why we keep the command not merely as a duty, but as a delight. And if you want to summarize it in two parts, it's observe the Sabbath and remember the story. Observe the Sabbath and remember the story. Let's think first of all about that requirement. Observe the Sabbath. First of all, I think it's worth recognizing that there are many things that um, distinguish the fourth commandment. There are many features that make it stand out. The fourth commandment is the longest of the ten, just in terms of the words that are used. The Lord has more to say about the Sabbath than any other commandment. That should get our attention. Uh, the fourth commandment is also the first commandment to be stated positively. Remember, the first three commandments are expressed negatively, but the fourth commandment interrupts that series of thou shalt nots 
with a positive vision of what the good life actually looks like. Think about it this way. What what comes into view when you have been set free? When you have been redeemed out of bondage and oppression to have God as your God, to worship him according to his word, to be in his presence, to have him place his name upon you. What comes into view? A festive day of rest. A joyful day dedicated to the Lord where without words we proclaim the message that our trust and our hope is in the Lord and we were made and we were redeemed for relationship with him. It is a day each week for God's people to taste of the power of the age to come. Another thing that makes the Sabbath commandment stand out is that it is grounded, it has its roots in creation. That's that's pretty significant, isn't it? The Sabbath isn't just for Israel. It was not established at Mount Sinai. The Sabbath is for man, as man. That's why we first read about it in the beginning, Did you know that the Sabbath is the very first thing that is called holy in the scriptures? In Genesis 2 verse 3, that's that's worth thinking about. As a faithful workman, uh, God fashioned the heavens and the earth in the span of six days. And on the seventh day, he rested from his labors. Why did God do that? It wasn't because he was tired. It wasn't because he needed a rest. He did it for us. He did it to establish a pattern. The Sabbath was for humanity. That's why Jesus says in Mark chapter 2 verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. It was made for man. It was made for all people everywhere. It is not a burden imposed. It is a gift that you and I need. But not only is the Sabbath grounded in creation, it also points forward. The Sabbath is a sign. As we read in Exodus 31, God says, Above all you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. The Sabbath was a sign of the covenant between God and his people, but it's a sign that not only points back, but to God's good future for his people. I think that's why the original description of the seventh day in Genesis chapter 1 lacks the refrain, and there was evening, and there was morning. Now that, that refrain is repeated six times in Genesis 1. It's rhythmic. It marks each day, but it's conspicuously absent on the seventh day which is a day without morning or evening, pointing forward to an eternal day of rest and gladness without end. And this, this is what God has in store for his people. This is what he wants his people to enter into, unending Sabbath rest. The weekly Sabbath is a sign pointing to that end, but at the same time giving God's people a taste of God's good future 
for us. And so the Sabbath is a positive command. It is a reminder that there is more to life than endless, aimless activity. We are headed somewhere, brothers and sisters. This short life of toil will soon give way to a day of rest without end. An eternal Sabbath of delight and perfect harmony among all peoples and all creation. In a restless world. In a disjointed world. That's something to look forward to, isn't it? And yet, of all the commandments, despite all of these distinguishing features that make the fourth commandment pop, that make it stand out, despite the fact that the Sabbath is grounded in creation, grounded in redemption, a points forward, it's a sign of the world to come, and a present foretaste of it, the fourth commandment is the most neglected, contested, and even rejected commandment of all. Very few Christians today feel morally obligated to observe the Sabbath in the same way that we feel obligated to have no other gods or to not commit adultery or to not murder or steal. Why why is that? Why is the fourth commandment so often neglected, contested, and even rejected? Well, one reason is that there are several passages which may at first glance appear to do away with the weekly Sabbath as an ongoing obligation for Christians in the New Covenant. That's certainly not the whole explanation, but it's one way of explaining why some Christians have questions about what it means to honor the Sabbath day. Is it morally binding on Christians Today, just listen to some passages that come up. For example, Romans chapter 14, verse 5, Paul says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, the mention of esteeming one day as better than another leads some people to ask, is, is Paul talking about the Sabbath? Is, is it a matter of liberty, Christian liberty, to esteem one day uh, or not esteem the day? Is he talking about the Sabbath day? Galatians chapter 4, verses 9 and 11. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I have labored over you in vain. Paul, Paul is concerned about the Galatians re-enslaving themselves, and that included observing certain days. Well, is Paul talking about observing the weekly Sabbath? Perhaps most contested of all, Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, therefore... Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. We need to say that these passages certainly warrant the question, are we still obligated to keep the fourth commandment now that Christ has come? Now that the substance has come. Have, 
have, have things somehow changed in the light of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ? Is there such thing, as our shorter catechism teaches, is there such a thing as the Christian Sabbath that remains morally binding? These are legitimate questions. And before just diving right in, I think, I think it's worth stepping back for a moment and recognizing first what virtually all Christians have agreed on, at least in terms of our practice. Right? Before delving into these debated texts, I think it's worth stepping back and recognizing what virtually all Christians have agreed on down through the centuries. Almost all Christians have agreed, in practice at least, that we are obligated to follow the apostolic example of the early church, which gathered for worship and fellowship on the first day of the week, the day of resurrection. So in terms of the official practice of almost all Christian churches and traditions, the overwhelming answer continues to be, yes, we should observe a weekly Lord's Day. Christians agree that we, we ought to follow the apostolic example of the church. We must not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, Hebrews 10.25. We are morally obligated to observe what the New Testament calls the Lord's Day, Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. The day which commemorates the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and is the inauguration of the new creation. While the church sometimes met on other days of the week because they were hungry for God's word, they consistently met on the first day of the week for worship and fellowship. And so although different Christian traditions articulate the Lord's Day in different ways, this has been the common practice of the church throughout the years. I think, that, I think that's worth saying and, and recognizing in a day where, frankly, innovation and consumerism drive decision-making. You know, in a day where it's, it, it, it's, it's not really thought through theologically of, well, let's just have a service Saturday night so it doesn't get in the way of the weekend. Right? There actually is a unified mainstream Christian practice of God's people coming together on the Lord's Day for worship to show one another Christian love. And I think it's also important to remember that in the Old Covenant, as we do try to make some sense of all of those difficult passages in the New Testament, that the weekly Sabbath was the first of seven feasts that were required under the law. In other words, there were many different feasts and festivals the people were require, required to observe. Not just a weekly day of rest. There were many other things. And these feasts were a part of a larger sabbatical system that included a whole Sabbath year uh, when slaves would be released. We're going to get to that in Deuteronomy chapter 15. And even the land itself was given a year of rest, according to Leviticus 25. And then finally, to top it all off, there was the year of Jubilee. Every seven years times seven, on the seventh month, a trumpet was blown on the day of atonement to, to 
to, to mark the 50th year when all debts were canceled, when all slaves were set free, and everyone was allowed to return to their ancestral inheritance in the promised land. It was a year of complete release and rest. So all these civil and ceremonial festivals uh, and, uh, and times that God gave to the nation of Israel, we need to understand, they have been, they have been um, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The feasts are no longer obligatory on God's people today because in Christ, we've been set free. Our debts have been canceled. Our sins have been forgiven. We have received an inheritance that can never be lost. In other words, Jesus is our jubilee. He is the substance of all of the feasts and festivals of Israel's liturgical calendar. And so we're no longer obligated to observe the civil and ceremonial days and months and seasons and years on Israel's calendar. But God has not given anyone permission to break any of the Ten Commandments, has he? The obligation to observe a weekly Sabbath remains morally binding because it is part of the moral law of God which the Lord himself wrote with his own fingers on tablets of stone for all time. The Sabbath is a gift and it is a demand that remains for the people of God. So what does the fourth commandment require? Okay, look closely at the text. Have a look at Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's, that's the basic gist of the command to start here. Observe the day. Keep it holy. Set it apart. It's to be different and distinct from the other six. But what does that look like? Well, it begins with the freedom to stop your ordinary work and activity. Maybe because God knows how hard it would be for us to do that, he commands it in verse 13. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. Okay, put, put that together. What do you have? God tells us to cease from our ordinary work and activity to observe a Sabbath. And, and notice the language that's there, to a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It is a day set apart for him and his purposes. In other words, a day for serving and enjoying the Lord on a day of holy convocation. That's the abiding moral commandment. A day set apart to the Lord. You know, in years past in the Christian tradition, there was a distinction between servile work and festivity. Servile kind of sounds condescending to us today, but it simply means Work that serves another purpose beyond itself. Everything we do, in other words, the other six days of the week, we, we work not as an end in and of itself, but to, um, to serve and to provide, right? And what we're being reminded of here in the fourth commandment is God gives us an entire day to engage in another activity that serves no other end than itself, 
to enjoy God and to love one another as we anticipate our eternal end. The the rest of scripture will fill in what's involved in the keeping of the Sabbath day, but that's the basic command, a Sabbath to the Lord. And as the prophets will have to emphasize later on, the day is not meant to be just a duty, but, but a delight. You know, if, if, if it is a burden, and, and let's, let's be honest, we've probably all wrestled with this, feeling like the obligations of observing Sabbath is somehow cramping our style, we have to recognize the fact that if it, if it feels like a burden, it's telling us that there's something in our lives that we want more than than to be with God and to be with his people. But if we understand that, that that's what the day is for and that's, that's where we're headed, then all the demands, all the tasks, all the things demanding your time and attention on this day, God says, set it aside. You're free to delight yourself in me, your true source of life and joy and peace and everlasting satisfaction. You're you're free to rest. You're free to worship. You're free to do those things for others that you've been wanting to do, but you haven't had the time to do the other six days of the week. You're free to do good and to show mercy. You see, that's not all then. That, That leads us to the next thing I want to talk about. The fourth commandment not only offers us rest, it requires us to give rest to others. Did you notice that emphasis as we read it? This is particularly emphasized in Deuteronomy's version of the commandment. Look at the second part of verse 14 and notice the emphasis on not only receiving, but giving rest. On it, you shall not do any work. You, I think it's worth pausing there. And and, who's the you? Sometimes we think the Ten Commandments are just given generally to all of God's people, and they certainly have application to all of us. But if you read carefully through the Ten Commandments, there's a specific individual that is in view. It's the man of a home who's married, who has children, who has servants, who has elderly parents that he cares for. Read through the commandments with that in mind, and and you'll see that that's the case. This is somebody who, in a sense, has authority over others. And look at how the commandment is directing him. It says, this day you will not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. See, the Sabbath is not just about receiving. It is about giving. So much attention is devoted to what could rightly be called here, hear me clearly, what could rightly be called social justice. Think about it. Gender equality. Your sons and your daughters, your male servants and your female servants. How about animal rights? Right? All of your livestock, you can't work them to death. It even talks about immigrants. The sojourner who is within your gates gets the same rest as everyone else. Now, I use those incredibly loaded terms to just to get our attention. 
to say that these are things that the Lord is deeply concerned about. And so we should be careful not to simply dismiss this kind of language because it's become trendy or because it seems to be a cultural fad or because a certain group is talking about it right now. We need to recognize we don't typically think about the Sabbath this way. But it is a day for equity among God's people. Nobody gets left out. Nobody is treated differently than the rest. Nobody has different levels of access or different kinds of benefits. Everybody is the same on this day. See, the Sabbath isn't just about worship. It it is about worship. But it's also about how we love and care for each other. The Sabbath, you could say, is the great equalizer. Everyone is the same on this day. Whatever distinctions or stations of life there are distinguishing us the rest of the week, they all vanish and disappear on the Sabbath. See, the other six days, everyone is not equal. I know that's not a popular thing to say today, but it's reality. We have different capacities. We're not equally productive. We are not equal in opportunity and resources And our lives are reflective of those differences. But the Sabbath is there to remind us that our lives are not defined by those differences. That our worth and value is not determined by those differences. You see, the Sabbath is a day to remember the Exodus, not merely as an event, but as a departure from a whole world. As a departure from a way of life. The Sabbath is a festival of freedom and harmony among God's people. The fourth commandment commands us to give rest to others. And so it shouldn't surprise us to find that this is precisely what Jesus did on the Sabbath. Jesus never allows the vertical and the horizontal dimensions of God's law to be pitted against each other. He always held the love of God and love of neighbor together. One of the things that stands out in the Gospels is how often Jesus attended public worship at the synagogue on the Sabbath day. We're told it was his custom. It was his habit to go to public worship worship at the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Let me just read several passages from the gospel to give us a flavor of this, a sense of Jesus's Sabbath custom. Mark 1.21, they went to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Mark 6.2, and on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. Luke 4.16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Luke 6, 6, we read earlier, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Luke 13, verse 10, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Keep going, but you get the picture, don't you? On the Sabbath, Jesus got together with God's people, and he wanted them to hear the word of God. That was his custom. He went to corporate worship This is how Jesus did it, and friends, this is how we should do it too. But Jesus not only sought to love God by devoting himself to the public teaching of God's word, he also sought to love neighbor 
by devoting himself to acts of mercy. And boy, oh boy, did that get him into trouble. This is one of the main areas where Jesus found himself in contention with the Pharisees of his days, where they they accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath because he insisted. It wasn't incidental. He insisted on healing people on the Sabbath day, the day of rest. And that's because Jesus refused to be bound and restricted by man-made rules that would distort God's true intent and purpose for the Sabbath day. He gave people rest on the day of rest. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. And this is what Jesus did for us when he cried out from the cross, it is finished. When his work was completed and he was laid to rest, Jesus kept the Sabbath as he rested in the grave. On the last Sabbath before Easter Sunday, Jesus kept the fourth commandment not only by resting from his work, but by giving us true rest. And so we keep the fourth commandment not only by resting from our labors and activities to enjoy this, the Heidelberg Catechism calls this festive day of rest, but also by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's really what's at the heart of the fourth commandment. It's all about trusting in God alone to provide his people with real rest. And that that brings us to the last part that we need to consider briefly. We talked about observing the Sabbath. Now remember the story. Just remember quickly here that Moses is giving the Ten Commandments to the second generation that's come out of of Israel or, or out of Egypt and they are preparing to go into the promised land a land which has been described as a land of plenty a land of abundance a land that is fertile and and that is going to present a certain challenge and temptation to this group of people who were formerly slaves and who have just existed in the wilderness for 40 years the land of Canaan would be so abundant in its produce, that it would present former slaves with a temptation. The affluence and the abundance of the land would tempt them to forget that this was all the result of God's blessing. And they would begin to think this was all the result of our doing, of our righteousness, of our work. They would be in danger of forgetting where they'd come from and what God had done for them to get them there. And that's because we understand this principle, don't we? Prosperity breeds amnesia. Prosperity breeds amnesia. So they would be tempted to believe what Pharaoh believed about himself, that they were their own little gods, and they could secure their own wealth and prosperity and success by their restless activity. Moses, therefore, will spend a great deal of time warning them about this in Deuteronomy. We'll see it in chapter 6 and in chapter 8, where again he'll say, in effect, take care, take care that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Don't ever forget where you've come from. Don't ever forget what God in his grace has done for you. 
Don't forget how you once lived in a system of unbearable production, of making more and more bricks. And Moses even predicts that unless they remember the God who delivered them, that they would enter right back into that system of oppression and enslave each other. And of course, that's exactly what would happen as time went on. It's what the prophets would have to rail against, the injustice in the land of promise. So how will God's people remain alert to the God of redemption, to the God of mercy, to the God of compassion, to the God of justice? The answer is the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath. The Sabbath which reminds us of who we are, where we've come from, how we've been set free to serve the Lord and to care for one another. You see, in a time of affluence, the Sabbath functions this way, keeping us from becoming like Pharaoh. But in a time of want, it performs another function, reminding us our God provides. That's why Israel was instructed to collect a double portion of manna on the day prior to the Sabbath. It was an act of faith, trusting God to provide. So think about it. Anxiety and lack in the wilderness was met with the Sabbath, but pride and abundance in the land is met with the very same Sabbath. And in the land flowing with milk and honey, the people face the real danger of forgetting God and believing the lie that the goal of our lives is to acquire more and more and more so we can consume more. And believing that lie inevitably creates a culture of competition where we begin to view people as commodities, where we begin to see them as a means to an end, to gaining more for ourselves, or we simply view them as competitors. And so Moses is alert to how abundance can turn God's people into idolatrous producers and consumers. And friends, this is all addressed by the Sabbath. And so whether we find ourselves with a little or a lot, we need the Sabbath to remember the story. Verse 15 You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. He commands us to keep it so that we remember where we've come from, so that we remember who we are It is so easy to forget God's mercy, isn't it? When it's not at the forefront of our minds, when it's not fresh in our hearts. So what are we going to do about it, brothers and sisters? The teaching of the fourth commandment would be observe the Sabbath. Set it apart as a day to the Lord. Make it special. Make it a day that your family looks forward to, that your kids love. The other day, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back in any way, but in passing, randomly, Karis said to me, and she had no idea how much it would mean to me, she said, Sunday's my favorite day of the week. I hope we all can say that. It should be a day that we look forward to, a day that we anticipate. Do it so you'll remember that you were a slave, 
but God brought you out. He redeemed you. He set you free with a mighty hand and the outstretched arms of his son. And then the fourth commandment urges us to then stretch out your arms in return. Yes, receive the gift of rest. It's free. It's liberating. It's life-giving. It comes as a pure gift of God's grace. Jesus gives rest to those who are weary and heavy laden. Know that you're forgiven. Rejoice in your redemption. Know that your debt has been canceled. Know that you have received an inheritance that is unfading. And then share this good news with others and extend rest to others. Let's not forget who we are. We are liberated slaves who have received mercy. And so we should know how to show it to others. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your commandments. We thank you for how they search our hearts and show us uh, the ways that we are not in conformity with your will. We thank you for the ways that your commandments drive us to the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who can give us true and everlasting rest. And we thank you for the way that your commandments direct our steps. Holy Spirit, would you please work in our lives and conform us to this commandment that we would observe the Sabbath as a day of delight, as a day set apart to the Lord, a day to do good and to love one another. And by doing so, may we wordlessly proclaim the message that we're yours, that our trust and our hope is in you, and that we belong to one another in the bonds of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.